You're listening to Why Try, the podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Peel, and each week you'll hear from artists, entrepreneurs, and others who have found that betting on themselves has made all the difference. Taylor started his own accounting practice when he was two years out of college. In the few years since, he's built a full-time business, so we discuss how he got to that point, as well as an interesting potential avenue that lies ahead for him during tax consulting in the marijuana industry, which is where our conversation starts off. Later on, we'll get into what holds people back from starting their own businesses, how to attract the kinds of clients you want to work with, and how entrepreneurship grants people far greater control over their lives than they would otherwise have. Taylor's got a really down-to-earth manner and a good sense of humor, so I hope this conversation is as fun to listen to as it was to record. Yeah, so what's the deal with the marijuana industry you want to get into? So, you know, I'm, I'm a licensed tax consultant, so I have to go to a certain amount of continuing education every year. And over the last few years, there's been... You know, there's been classes for how are we going to do tax for recreational marijuana businesses and how are they handling it now? Because it's already legal. They're already having to file tax returns for it. For me, what I've noticed is that everybody in the tax industry at those meetings is in their 60s, 70s, 80s. So they don't have any desire to learn the new industry and they don't have any need because they're already maxed out on all their clients. When I got my license, I got an email that showed us the age range of people in tax, uh, tax consultants. And there was, I was one of five from the 25 to 30 range. And how big is the pool? It, you know, I want to say it was as, as far as licensed tax consultants go, it was, you know, 5,000, realm oh crap like one of five then so that's like a super small number yeah and for the age range and knowing that everybody is on the higher end of that age range as licensed tax consultants means that they don't i mean they pretty much max out on their clients pretty quick so you take on the clients that you want and if none of them want to take on any of these um, recreational marijuana businesses dispensaries or grows then they won't so that kind of leaves um, those businesses out, <laughs> hanging out to dry. So for me, it's an industry because I'm so young in that industry, I'm going to have to know it. I mean, it's not legal throughout the whole U.S. yet, but it's, it's going to be. Yeah, that was one of the things Matt said, like the best thing you can do starting out is get like a, it, a good attorney and a good accountant. Yeah. So that that's like, if you have those, you, like, 90% of your headaches just go away and you can focus on doing your actual business, which is what you're supposed to be doing anyway. I could see that. I mean, I, and that's, that's kind of what got me. One of my clients uh, who found me online, uh, he happens to be an attorney and is an attorney for a lot of these, these companies. And so I've been talking with him and, and, and for me on the accounting side, the attorney is kind of a big part too. It's like everybody's afraid to go near the industry because they don't know how liable we're going to be for filing tax returns. How to do the accounting federally is is not black and white. There's so much gray area that they can come back to you and say, well, you took that stance, but it wasn't more likely than not that we would accept it. So, um, and we think it's maybe more along the neglect side or, or negligent side of of the, your knowledge base. So people want to stay away until they see the black and white uh, federally. So 
Um, so for me to have an attorney who's in the industry that I can bounce questions off of would be really valuable. They were saying like they knew a few guys who were like, you know, 10 years ago, they might have been totally just, I mean, basically stoners turned to Turn yeah. lawyers like, lawyers. yeah, I'm yeah. gonna protect yeah. your weed, man. Like, don't worry, I got it all. <laughs> I know all the loopholes. Yeah. And and now you've got <laughs> you know real business people with like suits and offices and everything who are doing that. It's just so much more of a legitimate industry than it was. It's just a very short time ago. It's so funny. It's because the money. I mean, there's so much money in it. The way I look at it is, it's it's an industry I have to know as a tax consultant, and could be a niche industry on the bookkeeping side of it. Because right now, I'm sure there's not many bookkeepers out there. Everything's cash-based in Oregon. So it's just a mess for any bookkeeper out there um, as far as tracking. And, I mean, it's a nightmare. And you're talking about clients that are maxed out. So how does that uh, side of the business work when... When you're maxed out, do you just like hire employees? Is that how accounting firms get started? It is a little little bit. Why aren't those guys just scooping up all the the marijuana customers with like a new hire or something? What I keep finding, you know, and growing a business like this, you know, I I read articles and things like that is the key to tax and bookkeeping is to find a niche. If you're used to doing that industry, you know, an industry in particular, year after year, you're learning all the new things about that one industry the new credits or the new deductions or certain ways that you can group things or the tax breaks and things like that, where if I'm doing tax for 20 different industries, it's hard to be in the up and up on every industry. I think that most businesses that are established aren't scooping up all these clients because they're already established. They have a niche that they make good margins on and they can get the done the work done accurately and efficiently. So they just stick with it. To start kind of over at the top, can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing? So I started a business, an accounting business, licensed in tax consulting so that I could prepare taxes. You know, obviously tax season is four or five months out of the year. So the other part of the year I'm doing bookkeeping and payroll. I just started up doing that because my dad's CPA, I think I was in high school, I went and went in to have him do my tax return and you know he charged me like 150 bucks for my W-2 <laughs> just to prepare the return. And uh, he, we started talking about the industry because I've always been a numbers guy. He started telling me what, he was, what the revenue was. And uh, he said, you know, my first year I made 16,000 and most people in the industry make a deficit in their first year. My second year, I doubled that, I made 40. My third year, I made 80. And my fourth year, which was the year I was talking to him, he said I'm at about 120. And that was just in tax season. Oh, that's a good lifestyle. Yeah, so I'm like, well, I got my my mind thinking. If I could make 120 in four months, then I have the other eight months of the year to do whatever I was passionate about. I enjoy tax, but as far as like work-life balance, what could I do the other eight months? Anything. If I'm making 120, I'm probably good to go. So that kind of set me on my path to this business. And as I've been doing it, I enjoy the bookkeeping a lot. The payroll is is great. You know, they kind of go hand in hand. And then the tax is, is kind of my big chunk of money during that four months of the year. So yeah, so that's how I got into it. So it was kind of just a practical thing. You saw a goal and kind of figured out. Yeah, I you know, the way I looked at it, it was... Uh, 
I have a way to make a foundation of income that could support me throughout the whole year in, in four months. And then the bookkeeping part of it, I love business. My brother's an entrepreneur too. Um, he started a web developing business. It's kind of in our blood to wanna you know, do that kind of stuff. So I like seeing inside of all the books, all these small business clients that I have, seeing what works and what doesn't and what industries are more profitable you know, so that I can kind of think of what my next business idea could be. That was something I was curious about. So you would, would you want to start another business? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want to run another business, but I would love to be a part of another business and handle the accounting side of it and give input on, but, but I want it to be, you know, there's, there's two ways to go with that. Well, I actually am in part of another business right now. That's kind of a startup and it's, it's essentially uh, an Amazon business. I mean, they're selling products on Amazon, trying to figure out what products we could sell to the consumer, direct to consumer. The guys that I'm working with have, you know, 20 years of experience and one in marketing and one in manufacturing. So the idea is let's find some products that we can make and source them in, in Asia because that's where the roots are for one of my, my partners. But it's kind of... It's just in, in the works. It's kind of going right now. So How important do you think it is to have a long track record of experience in an industry? And these guys have combined like 40 years, right? Yeah. I think, uh, well, it depends. What I notice with finances and with, you know, working with people's uh, money and, and uh, businesses and things like that is you've got the two sides of it. You've got the, the group that wants someone young and new who's fresh out of educating themselves on, on all of this stuff. So energy, would that be a... Energy is a thing, but you know, basically is they're, they're up to date on current ways of doing things um, and the current laws and the current credits and things like that versus having someone who's been in the industry so long they don't change anything. They're just doing it the same way they did 10, 20 years ago. And then there's the other group who wants someone who has experience, got the experience to back up what they're doing. I think there's pros and cons on both sides. So um, it's mostly preference from the clients that I've met. When you were first starting out, how'd you get your first clients? I got my first client through actually a CPA here in Sherwood. he knew that I started my own business and had a client that just needed payroll done. A single employee, pretty straightforward, and they had a payroll project to handle at the same time. So he just asked if I could do it. Uh, that got me in the door there. And my second client actually came from him too, who had just started up a retail business and had one employee also and needed bookkeeping done. That was pretty straightforward. So. It kind of got me my, my first two clients while I was working, you know, uh, another full-time job. Okay, so then uh, what were you doing for your full-time job? At that time, I think I was working for, oh, you know what? That was after I was working full-time. So I was working at a, a small tax business that essentially does tax returns, bookkeeping and payroll. Um, but they also do business tax returns, which is good industry to kind of a niche. You can go individual or you can go business. That was one of their types. But I was working there, and when the busy season got over, there wasn't any more work for me to do. So they, they laid me off, and because I got laid off, 
I got a letter in the mail from the Department of Revenue or, or from Oregon, and it it talked about this program called the SEA program, and it's a self-employment assistance program that basically said because you qualify for um, unemployment, um, here's another avenue for you to go. If you have degrees or education in a certain industry and you want to start a business, um, we'll go ahead and pay you your unemployment for up to six months as you're trying to start this business up. And all they asked was for me to report to them weekly how many hours I worked in the business, how much money I made that week. And, and it was basically a reporting for them so that they could see if the, if the SEA program was doing any good. So I did that for six months and was able to get my business set up, uh, educate myself on the programs, the software I bought, purchase all my equipment, and start trying to find new clients. When I got those first two clients, I wasn't, I wasn't actually working that job. I was in that program, and they were just my first two. So. so is there like a pretty clean break between when you had a job and when you decided to start the business? I had to start, you know, I took on another job while I, after I started my business. It's the same guy I'm in another business with. Uh, his name's Cliff Reuter. He worked with Nike for 24 years, and then um, he got a job with, with another company here who owns multiple businesses over multiple industries. And he said, one of the businesses in the chiropractic industry, uh, they need a new controller. You know, that might be a good uh, opportunity to be able to work with him and work with the owner of all of those businesses, um, who's a CPA and he's he's a really smart guy. I mean, he owns he owns multiple businesses and in multiple industries, and the guy doesn't sleep. But I mean, he's he knows what he's doing. He's really successful. Um, I decided to take the job with with them to work with Cliff and work with the owner. And the owner was nice enough to say, hey, how about this? You keep all your clients. You take uh, you know, a couple days a month. He asked me how much time it takes for me to work on my, do all the work monthly for those clients. And he said, okay, take two or three days off a month to handle your business. And that way at the end of this, if, uh, you know, cause I know entrepreneurs, they're entrepreneurs for a reason. They like to work for themselves. And, and he said, if, if you don't like it, and it's not working out for you, or if it's not working out for us, then at least we can break this and you're still gonna be able to support yourself. And so that was another perk of taking that opportunity. So that was the only time I worked a job while running my business. Generally in accounting, is there like a conflict of interest if you have a job for an accounting company that like you're expected to just be purely their accountant? It depends. I mean, uh, in the tax world, uh, there can be. Um, there's been a lot, you know, I've, I've signed two non-competes uh, from a former employer and then a, another guy I did some tax work for this season. And that's just to protect you from taking their tax clients. Uh, you know, it's a no-brainer to, to do. But in the accounting side of things, unless it's bookkeeping and payroll would be the same. You know, there's other businesses here who do what I do. If I worked for them and then started my own business, it would obviously be... Um, wrong for me to say, hey, I started my own, come over with me. So there's non-competes for that as well. But as far as working accounting in a corporate firm, like I was doing, doing working as a controller for the chiropractic clinics, 
and all of my small business clients, they weren't in the same realm. Yeah. If, if I had another chiropractic client, then maybe there would be some conflict of interest there, but otherwise, no. Uh, the like, advice I hear a lot is that like, you should do both like, for a really long time. You should have your day job and then be doing that on weekends and evenings. And like, once you hit like 50% of your salary or whatever, that's when you switch over, which I have my own thoughts on that. But what, like, what do you think about that kind of advice? As far as strategy on starting your own business? Yeah, like, do you think that works? I think it, yeah, I mean, I, I know you could do it. You're going to you know, run yourself into the ground. But if you're driven to start a business, you know, you'll find out how you can do it. What's the quickest way to you get getting to your supporting yourself? And for me, fortunately, Ashley and I have really good family in the area. So either of our parents would have let us live with them for the time being while I was starting my business. We just happened to stay with Ashley's mom. That, was, that allowed us to take that financial stress off and devote all my time to getting the business up and running. If I would have had to do it on my own, I would have been bell to bell. It would have been a lot, uh, pretty exhausting too. So. How long after you graduated college did you start your business? Graduated college in 2012 and I started my business in October 2014. So yeah, like a couple of years of seeing what it was like working for someone else. Yeah, yeah. I worked one year with a business similar to mine and I worked another in uh, corporate private accounting. That was really boring. Uh, so I knew that wasn't the route to go. And then I started my business from there. So, uh, What is it you think makes people become entrepreneurs? I think work-life balance is a big one. What, what do you mean? So they say entrepreneurs are the only people willing to work 60 hours a week to avoid working 40, you know, those 40 hour week jobs. And um, I can, I, I think that that's kind of the idea is that entrepreneurs know that it's going to be a grind for a period of time, but if it works out, then they can have this work-life balance that a flexibility in their life that you can't get with a 40 hour a week job. And for me, that was, that was ultimately the driving factor. I can work any time of day and get my work done. And I also have the luxury of leaving during the day to go, you know, visit family or go golfing or, you know, something if it comes up. Because you always have those uh, like, like weekends where you just do nothing. So you might as well work, especially if someone's going boating on Thursday. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'll work week. Now, Ashley's not always too, not always thrilled about that, but I'll work weekends to to take those days off during the week, or you know, whatever's needed. But when I'm working, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like work. It's just uh, a, something to do, you know. When I'm not doing any, instead of playing video games, I'm working. You mentioned your brother is an entrepreneur. Are there, are there other entrepreneurs in your family? So, so I have five siblings. I have one brother who started his own business. Um, my oldest sister has been in mortgage and real estate. Two sisters who are nurses. My brother, uh, Jeremy, he's a district manager at Chase. And then my brother, Spencer, who started, he started right out of high school in web developing and SEO and uh, marketing and things like that. And uh, 
and I think we're probably the most alike in that and how our brains work with with that kind of stuff. What do you think you guys have have in common that your other siblings don't? Well, he's creative and I'm not. What's that mean? That's he's got the creative mind. He's growing up. He's the one who could think of games to imaginary games to play and, you know, he was putting together in high school. He was he was filming and, you know, he had that art kind of mind the desire to make things yeah i mean to to create things on his own and 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 i'm i was not like that uh you know i'm a numbers guy so everything you know i played sports and things like that there's you can quantify everything well especially like your main sport baseball do you yeah, do that for like I, the high school kids yeah i coached the high oh, school no did you like money ball for the high schoolers uh i look at stats a lot i mean i, I love stats uh to help me see things that I don't notice. I mean, I've been that player and, and I've seen the players who they don't look very good and you don't they don't wow you. And so they just kind of get brushed off to the side. But if you look at the stats and you see that their on-base percentage is 500 and all of a sudden you're like, shoot, you know, why haven't they been in the lineup? And that's the kind of stuff you can get from the stats. I feel like it'd be fun to go into a rec league and kind of blow up the... <laughs> system with that. Okay, so we got way off track. With sorry, um, I totally distracted you. You so you're talking about you're like you're the numbers guy. Um, yeah. So you asked how me and my brother were alike. Um, yeah. So he's more creative. So you have like different skill sets, but similar kind of ultimate destinies. You're both business owners, and I think I think our family is the drive. I think that that's we want to be able to have a family life. We grew up in a big family, and so we both know ultimately. 40 hours a week or 50 hours a week is not how we're going to be happy. And so that's where, that's where we're similar is we're both our drive is our happiness and our family. We don't see getting there at this, those kinds of jobs. And then the passion on the businesses that we decide to start up is there. I mean, and, and just trying to create something and make it successful. How important is that passion do you think in like creating a business? Uh, I think that's the biggest key. You know, the the kid that you um, interviewed with Hoops. Yeah, Brandon. Yeah, he he said the same thing. His passion. You can try to start a business, but if you're not passionate about it, then you're only going to take it so far. And I completely agreed with that because, uh, you know, otherwise it's just like any other job. <laughs> if all you're focused on is trying to generate revenue and not enjoying what you're doing, then it's going to be a long, long ride. That's my goal with the whole entrepreneurial thing. Anything where I like doing it and it can produce income, hitting that point where I have very low standards for what I consider a good life materially. Yeah. So yeah. If I'm, I figured out that I can live on under $11,000 a year yeah. and like, yeah. like easily, like that gives me $2,000 of cushion to where like I can spend that on anything I want or like save it or whatever can be the least successful person right in in financially and by like most people's standards but i could also be effectively retired if i'm just doing something that i believe that i perceive to be just fun and goofing around all day that's it i mean the materialistic thing is exactly it because it's like you know we all and not we all but we've been college students we've been poor after high school student you know people and we know what you can live off minimally uh, and then, you know, we, we build off that. What else do we want to add to our minimal lives? And I think ultimately, like, that's what you got to figure out. 
is what all do you need? And then how much you work varies depending on those needs. So it's a two part equation, not just like, I want a bigger house. It's like, well, do you want to work an extra 20 hours a week so that you can like move up the ladder to have a bigger house? Why would you rather be out, you know, hiking or something and be satisfied with making and you got to set that goal. What's that figure? And it's good that you know that. I mean, I, I budget, I have a, a budget spreadsheet that I use and update every month. And I know exactly how much I, I'm going to need to make at the end of the year. And I know exactly what my extra is going to be. But what do I want to do with that money? I mean, or where do I want to cut expenses to, to work less? <laughs> so that's an important thing to know. Do you ever want to retire? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, ultimately if I could have now, this is kind of what I think is with the side business that I get that I, that I'm a part of and this Amazon one could be it, you know, what if it, it could work out, right? If I had recurring revenue from a business that we've set up and we've built the foundation on, and then we have the right people in place to run it, then I could be pulling off that every year and retire whenever that day comes like a fairly minimal annual time investment just yeah but it's but i have the passion for it too so i'll you know want to see things and review things and look into how we could make it better and it's kind of a it's a hobby really that coincidentally produces money (laughs) exactly yeah it's great the irs wouldn't call it a hobby they'd call it a, a business so if it generates money but but yeah, I mean, that's that. I think that's my love for business in general, that that can still be something fun I do. So retire or not, I think, uh, I think the term is kind of broad one for me, because if I retire, I'm sure I'm still going to be involved in. If it's not my business, then what my siblings or my kids or my nephews or nieces are, are being a part of. So as long as we're talking about like your family a little bit, do you want to talk about your um, mentors? thing with your nephew oh yeah yeah my my nephew josh um yeah so just to kind of bring everyone up to speed so a couple months ago i had you know i was telling you i had this conversation with my nephew josh who uh he's in he was in eighth grade and he came out to me he lives in an apartment complex and he goes uh so you know what i was thinking if I charged everyone in this complex a dollar to take their trash out, I'd make like 250 bucks. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you would. You know, that's true. And he goes, uh, to him, 250 bucks is a ton of money. And he'd just have to do that one time. Well, right? I'm thinking if I did, if I had 250 bucks once a week, that covers my yeah. living expenses. Like, <laughs> like, that's what I was just talking about. I'm done working. No, that's exactly it. I'm like, well, you might be onto something here. So I go, uh, I go, okay, well, what if you charge them uh, $2? Do you, think, uh, do you think anyone who would say yes to a dollar would say no to $2? And he goes, uh, no. And I go, so then how much are you making? And he goes, that's 500 bucks. And I go, so you see where I'm getting with that is you want to kind of find a, find that price point that will maximize your income and minimize the amount of work that you do. Find that sweet spot 
that you know you weren't losing all those clients well, for a dollar you're gonna have every cheap ass in the building <laughs> exactly <laughs> you have those high maintenance low income clients take care of this, this for me this <laughs> yeah no kidding uh, they're gonna have a whole doorstep full of uh garbage but uh but yeah i mean it, it got his mind thinking but it, it was really cool to me to know that he's thinking that way the kid's in eighth grade hootswag i was obviously pretty young when he's he was obviously pretty young when he started 13 years old so that's the same age i mean but it's it's special to see it there his brain working that way ultimately i wanted to push him and test him and see i i said i'll buy the supplies what do you think we need but you got to do the the footwork you got to go in and, and you know i'll go with you you talk to the apartment complex make sure it's okay that you do that and then we'll figure it out from there and you know i i like to it's I like to lead a horse to water, you know. Uh, I don't like to make him drink. So it, it, in that case, he didn't want to do it that bad. And that was kind of where it, where it all stopped. But it was a great idea nonetheless. What do you think other people can do to help encourage aspiring entrepreneurs in their life? For me, the way I try to do it is by offering to help in any way that I can, um, on the planning side of it, you know, not everybody has, you know, will be able to come from that realm, but I think everybody, if you have a way to nurture that seed with whatever your own skills are, then, you know, I think that would be the way if it's having, you know, a family member come live with you so that they could start a business, um, and not have to worry about not generating any revenue off the bat, then that's a way that you can do it. If it's putting together a budget and the costs and expenses of everything that they would need and kind of working through it with them, then that's a way to do it. You know, if it's, if it's just rooting them on, you know, and continuing to push them towards chasing it, and I mean, that's another way. But I think everybody's kind of got their own way to do it. I think it's, uh, I definitely think it's important. It's worth doing, pushing them to want to try, you know. When you were starting out, how did you decide how much to charge people? Because you were, what, like 23, 24? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was, you know, with the tax, I looked up what's the average pricing for the forms that you file. What's the average 1040 return, average Oregon tax return. And then I just did 10% less than that or, or 20% less than that because I was starting out. And, you know, with tax, it's pretty easy to find that information. With the bookkeeping and payroll, it was payroll was a matter of looking at competitors, pricing whatever I could find, and coming up with a reasonable price, or what what, what I thought was reasonable, and then bookkeeping was flat rates and hourly rates. Um, so I started hourly with clients to find out what their books look like and what the monthly duties are going to entail, and then I would try to get to a flat rate because they can budget around it and I can I can plan on my income my personal expenses around that too so that's how I did that you talk about a like mistake you made yeah uh, I would say quoting you know everybody wants to know a price right whether it be your taxes before I look at your taxes what's everybody ask me you know how much is it gonna be I say well I don't know I have a, I don't know what you have going on in your life 
um, or the bookkeeping project. They've got like three rental properties and a farm. And <laughs> Exactly. You're like, how much is it? Now, me starting out, I wanted to please them and I wanted to say, you know, I could do it for 200 bucks, you know, or uh, with bookkeeping. They got a big bookkeeping project, but they say, oh, it's pretty normal bookkeeping. Just some income and some expenses. Be like, okay, well, I'll just do it for, you know, 300 bucks to get it up to date. And then I look at it and it's just so much more work than I expected. Those were some early mistakes I made is uh, trying to gain business so much that I, that I went away from, you know, making reasonable inquiries because I was afraid it would scare them off. So that was definitely an early mistake I made. So it's like, how do you lose the, the stink of desperation when you're just starting yeah, out and you want to seem professional? Exactly. When you're dealing with businesses, they just want to save a buck. So, you know, they're, they're, they'll jump on it. And then sometimes you can notice how quickly they jump on it, of how stupid it, your estimate was or your quote was. So, yeah, You left money on the table. Oh, yeah. Uh, plenty of times. What, what's gone better than you expected when you start since starting out? I think uh, the networking aspect of it. I didn't really know how easy or hard it was to gain clients. And so initially, you know, I did a lot of work up front, just helping people, not at any cost, but just because I, I was still educating myself as I was giving this advice. So I didn't feel right about charging them for it while I felt like I, I wasn't totally 100% educated on it. And then that turned into you know, wanting to be involved with different groups. So, I, you know, I joined the Sherwood Chamber of Commerce. I looked into join, joining BNI, which is a business networking international, to be able to just kind of go and listen and meet people in the area. Uh, once I joined the chamber, the recommendations just started coming. I mean, it was, it was awesome how much, uh, how much impact just being a part of a basically just like a team you know just like joining a baseball team everybody goes and shows up they're all there for similar reasons you know they have a business and then ultimately they all just want to help each other grow and so it surprised me how much business how quickly my business grew from joining that i didn't think that it would it would be so immediate what do you think people get wrong when they try to network <laughs> i think people now i've read some books too and, and one of them was uh how to win friends and influence yeah, Dale people Carnegie. have you heard that yeah. that was an awesome book because when people are networking a lot of them go there and they talk about themselves and their own what they're trying to sell you on and one thing that book taught me is is uh people you know ultimately do want to talk about themselves. So you should do the opposite. You should ask them about them and get to know them, you know? And uh, that's where I, I'll, I do a lot of coffee meetings and stuff, you know, uh, especially a lot of like financial advisors. They want to meet up because they want my business or my client's business. And the ones that have kind of put me off are the ones who meet with me and, and I tell them ahead of time, hey, I'm already set up through a friend, 
but I'd love to hear like what you do so that if there's anyone in the area that I could refer to you, at least know what you're doing. And then I meet with them and they try to sell me and try to get my business and start asking me about my, you know, my situation and stuff like this. That, that's kind of put me off. Comes off off slimy. Yeah. I'm like, you don't have to trick me into meeting with you to gain my business. I, I try to set the expectation up front so that, you know, we can move on and move past that stage. But the the guys I, I know who have sold a lot, they're in door knocking jobs and things like that, they don't stop at no. And I don't have I don't have I can't do that. It's so hard to hear a no and then keep going. So Yeah. I guess it works. It's kind of a turning point in my life as far as networking goes. It's just not going there to like impress anyone or try to meet anyone just like kind of go have fun like yeah. see what's, yeah. up what's up with people just have a longer conversation with someone and kind of ask what they're up to they just le- just go there to learn like about what other people are doing i th- i think that's key you're sincere about wanting to learn about their businesses or i mean like just just what you're doing you're meeting with all these people who are entrepreneurs and you know we've met once before where you were genuinely wanted to know about the business and how did you know how did it start and how does it work um and people pick up on that sincerity like so if you go to those meetings to just meet some people and you know learn something then they feel that they definitely pick up on it well and 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 that's what i'm learning too is i want the type of clients they're the type that i could be me and if I have to go dress up in a suit and tie to impress them to get their business, then they're probably going to be a client that makes me miserable as the years go on, you know? That's definitely something I've seen too. Like the harder they are to like win over as a client, like, yeah. like the work doesn't end when, once they start being your client. Like it's just, it's just, <laughs> it's just, yeah. the yeah, yeah. It's just relationships. Well, that's the, I, I, fa- I found, you know, I've gone to the B and I meeting a B and I meeting. I've gone to a chamber meeting and um, uh, OA, uh, Oregon Association of Tax Consultants meetings, and they're all very different. The B and I is this: everybody's in suit and ties and trying to impress. Oregon Association of Tax Consultants, they're just there to learn and educate. It can be a networking thing, but you know they're all just there to to learn. And then the chamber meetings, the Sherwood Chamber is different from I think most. Um, because everybody's very much themselves and and it's so you know even now Lana painter she's the cha- she's the head of the chamber she's what sold me on the chamber because when she goes up and talks she makes jokes and she's you could tell it's not all rehearsed you know and it's playful it's and everybody picks up on that and it, it kept me coming back but if I had to show up and everybody had to be proper and say only what they think they should say it's just it's a turnoff it's just not fun um, but i hear that the sherwood chamber is different from people who go to other chambers around the area is they some of them are more the suit and ties and some of them are not i think kind of got lucky that it's just right down the road why don't you think more people choose entrepreneurship as a career path risk the risk involved in 
and starting a business and losing money, my business had little overhead. There was not much, didn't take much to start up, so there wasn't a lot of risk there. Not uh, a lot of people being uh, an expert on what they know and ultimately pro- what probably what they want to start their business on, but not knowing how to get there. Who do I who do I have to register with uh, when I start my business? What kind of tax returns do I have to file? Uh, is there any sales tax or special taxes that I need to pay regionally or on the products that I sell? I mean, there's so many variables that they don't know that it's kind of like it just halts them. Then there's another type of, of person, and I got this saying from a guy I worked with. Uh, he said, paralysis by analysis. They spend so much time analyzing their business model and how it can be the most successful that they never start it. <laughs> you know, they never get it off the ground. I think those are some ways that people, that keep people from getting started. That's the reason I started doing the podcast. Just start it up. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's like, well, like, how are you going to market it? How, who are you going to have on? How are you going to meet these people? I don't, I'll figure it out. Just like, yeah. I, yeah. I used to think that way. I'm doing it this way now. I've got like a new thing. Yeah. Let's see yeah. how it goes. It's going to be like so much better than anything else I've done. Just, it's fun. But that's, but that's, those are people I admire as people who can just go out and just do it. I do assess risk a lot. I am one of those people who tends to be halted by why I think it won't work instead of just going after it. And, but the people I see who just go after it, they have success. There's a ton of success. There, there may be a ton of failure too, but they're able to grow it and fix it as they go instead of trying to fix it all before you even get started. And then the business ends. It's a failure before it already begins because there's too many controls. It just collapses under its own weight. (laughs) Seriously. Do you think people are good at assessing risk for businesses? Well, I think some. I I think that some people are and some people aren't. I mean, I I know my my brother doesn't assess risk all that much. Uh, He he just goes after it. If he, I think he looks for the answers he wants to hear. And then when he hears it, it confirms, and then he does it. And you know what? It, it always works out for him. It may not work out the way he planned, but I think there has to be those kinds of people. Would you ever sell your business? Um, I think if I was in the right situation, I would. And what's someone buying when they bu- buy a business? When they buy a business, when they buy my business, they buy the... Um, the list of clients that may or may not switch over to you. Um, uh, they buy uh, sometimes the brand, um, you know, the website. Um, I don't really have that many assets here to purchase, so. I was gonna say, like, um, I wanted to take a picture of, of your setup here. It's like pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Huh? Yeah, I like it a lot. It's definitely asset light. Oh man. It's it's great. I mean, do you like meet clients here in your garage? Uh, I meet close clients here. Majority of my clients I'll meet at Starbucks or at their business location. Um, ones that I friends of mine or you know I'll meet them here, but it's it's not the most professional you know setting. Does that usually work pretty well, like meeting them elsewhere? It does. It it does. Uh, what I found is meeting them for uh, when we're going over tax stuff. It, 
uh, it's not, it doesn't work as well that way. You don't want to be like in public particularly no. talking about your finances. Exactly. Nobody does. I've been, I've been balancing, uh, trying to determine what year I need to get that, um, office for the four months of the year for my tax meetings. And that'll likely be this next season beforehand. It's just not, it's not worth it. Um, I think I probably lost one client this season because I, you know, I didn't have an office to meet at and that's fine. It's kind of a, uh, something I was expecting, but that one client may have gained me 500 bucks, but my, you know, renting a room would have cost me 1500. So it just wouldn't have been worth it. But this next season, yes, for tax, they'll come to me. And uh, if I could have a central location that just make things a lot easier, that's not my house. <laughs> what percentage of clients do you think that's important for? For me to have a, an office, a central location? I mean, none of my clients, they like the fact that I just drop in in their business and pick up documents and sometimes they'll drop by here and pick something up or drop something off. So I think that kind of goes hand in hand with the type of clients that you're trying to attract. I want the clients that are looking for more of a friendship, partnership type, you know, mindset than um, I work for them or they work for me. And I'm okay not getting those clients. (laughs) It's the the work-life balance too. It's like, I've got some, like Kate at Mud Puddles, awesome client. She'll text me, she'll call me day or night, you know, and it's not, it's not a bother, you know, just communicating about things and, you know, trying to business wise or personal wise, like those clients, you know, are the ones that I want. What do your typical clients look like? They're small businesses. I'd say anywhere from one to 15 employees. I have retail clients. I have construction clients, you know, construction seems to be a a big one, a lot of construction businesses out there. So um, I have more of those guys than appraisal companies and- Okay, like construction like has some serious peaks and troughs, right? Yeah. Does that bleed through to the accounting side of things? Everybody needs an accountant. A lot of the clients that I get are people who were doing it themselves and then found it's just not worth it because they could be doing things generating revenue you know, doing what they do best. Um, so I've had clients who started with me and then it wasn't going as well and they had to take it back. Um, I haven't, but maybe about 15% of the clients that's happened with. So, I, and with working with the small businesses, that can happen. But um, ultimately they still need their bookkeeping done to be prepped for tax. Um, they, they always need their payroll done. Um, the payroll doesn't really go away unless they have one employee and then decide to do everything themselves. So, Then have you ever fired a client? No. No, I haven't had to. Um, I've met with a ton of people in the, in the industry running the businesses that I do, and they have tax clients because um, they, it's just too sketchy. They're not doing things the right way. And ultimately, if we aren't asking questions on things that are red flags, then we could be held liable. I know I'm going to have to do that someday. But 
I'm not too worried about it. I mean, once you build a foundation for your business, um, losing a client here or there for the right reasons, the moral and ethical reasons is definitely worth it. I'd rather not be stressed about doing something wrong than for a, you know, a couple hundred a month. It's just not worth it. Thank you for your time. I had a time talking. Thanks for, uh, thanks for asking me on. Thanks again, Taylor. You can find more about Taylor and his business, Hilltax Consulting and Financial Services at hilltaxandconsulting.com. Music for this podcast is by Cambrian Explosion. Employers write comments through space like cowboys theming wild majestic stallions. Check them out on iTunes, Spotify, and cepdx.mancamp.com. And if you like this podcast, do me a favor and check out the Facebook page for Why Try, the podcast, where you can find out more about new episodes and become part of a community that's interested in learning more about entrepreneurship and improving future episodes of this podcast. Be sure to like, follow, and share the page so that more people can discover Why Try. Thanks for listening.